0: We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. The animal that I'm going to be talking about on this week's episode might be one of the most beloved creatures on the planet, but their populations are dwindling. Because their conservation is so important, I wanted to talk to an expert on these animals. That's why I sat down with Joni Steinhouse, who is the program director at the Turtle Island Restoration Network to get some more information about them. So get ready to hold your breath for a while, because we're heading into the ocean to talk about sea turtles. different sea turtle species in the world, and they can be found in the open ocean and also in coastal areas. And they've been around for about a 100 million years, which was even before T-Rexes were around. And as I said earlier, we're seeing a decline in their populations, which Joni is going to talk to us about later on in the episode. And not only that, but there's a ton of really cool information about sea turtles that I think you're really going to like. But before we get into that, Let's learn a little bit more about Joni and how she became interested in sea turtles.
1: Absolutely. So we were talking, chatting a little bit before we started, and I mentioned that I grew up in western Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh. So I grew up with older brothers, definitely a tomboy, running in the woods, discovering nature, and that was the best childhood. And so I've just had this strong love of nature and wildlife. I've had multiple jobs working as a vet technician in a private clinic. I worked at the Houston Zoo for years, worked for a river authority, helping people understand the riparian system. And my passion has always been water. I just love the water. I love the ocean. And so this opportunity to help with ocean conservation, help educate people about sea turtles, that you know, this is a species that's been around for millions of years, all the different sea turtle species, and just help people understand how important they are And how much we as humans are impacting the ocean. So it's just a perfect fit for me to talk about ocean conservation and talk about sea turtles.
0: And right now, it's probably the most important it's ever been to be talking about ocean conservation. So Joni is the Gulf Program Director at the Turtle Island Restoration Network. What does this organization do?
1: And Turtle Island Restoration Network's been around since 1989, so over 30 years of ocean conservation. Our headquarters are out in Lima, California, near Point Reyes National Park, if anybody's familiar with that area. And we also have programs in Hawaii and Costa Rica, because the ocean is one big body of water. And so it goes everywhere. We need to protect it everywhere. And so in order to be successful with ocean conservation, Turtle Island, with this long-term 30-plus years commitment to ocean conservation, has proven that they have you, you have to be around. You can't be expecting to come in and have success. You have to be able to stick with it because as things change in the environment, as human population changes, all the different dynamics that are happening in the in the world, we have to be able to be there to protect these sea turtles. And I'm sure everyone's aware all the different seven species are threatened or endangered. And so you use that status, that protection in the United States and internationally to provide a springboard for the need for ocean conservation, because sea turtles are just one part of the entire ocean habitat and the marine life and the wildlife that needs to be protected.
0: Absolutely. And their protection is extremely vital to the entire ocean. And we're going to talk about that a a little bit later. Now let's get to talking about sea turtles. Do they have teeth? Joni has our answer.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. So if you look at a sea turtle's mouth, they have really powerful jaws, and they do not have teeth. Their mouth is referred to as a beak, just like a bird beak. And if you look at the hawksbill turtle and you cover the turtle's head, you would almost imagine that you are looking at a bird's beak. So no teeth, very strong jaws. They have sharp cutting edges at the end of their beaks, their mouth, to eat a
0: variety of foods but there are seven different sea turtle species and not all of them eat the same things.
1: And some of them are
0: carnivorous. They're meat eaters. Primarily some
1: of them are omnivores eating both plant and animal material. And it just depends. And some of the largest, if your listeners are familiar with the leatherback sea turtle, that's the largest species of sea turtle over six feet long, over 1200 pounds. They get that big on a diet primarily of jellyfish.
0: And what's really cool is that each species of sea turtle has specific structures that cater to the type of food that they eat. Take the green sea turtle, which lives on a diet of algae and seaweed. And so these greens, these green sea turtles, their
1: beak is saw-like. If you imagine how a saw looks with the spikes and that gives them the ability to scrape that algae off the rocks and they can tear the grasses and the seaweed. But they'll also, if that food source is not available, they will eat crabs and shrimp and snails and jellyfish. But the unique thing about green sea turtles, because of that diet with algae and seaweed and seagrasses, they're fat, their skin becomes green. And many, many years ago, when people were catching and eating sea turtles, even along the Texas coast where I find, where my home is, That's the sea turtle that they were eating. When you think about turtle soup, it was the green sea turtle. And so that diet makes their fat, their skin appear green. So that's kind of unique for them.
0: How about leatherback turtles? They can get to be pretty huge, but why do they only eat jellyfish?
1: Over six feet, up to nine feet, a turtle, a leatherback turtle's been measured. And then weighing over a thousand pounds, really big sea turtles, I've talked to people that have seen them on the beaches, and they said it looks like a little Volkswagen beetle coming up to nest. You know, as <laughs> the sea turtle growls out of the ocean. So, just a really gigantic sea turtle. And they get that big on a diet primarily of jellyfish. So, their mouth, the way their mouth is structured, if they ate anything hard, it would actually damage their mouth. So, they eat jellyfish and other soft bodied animals. And as we see the decrease, in the number of leatherbacks in the ocean, we're actually seeing an increase in the jellyfish population.
0: And that can definitely take its toll on the ecosystem, which we're going to talk about later. Another type of sea turtle is the hawksbill.
1: So hawksbills have that bird-like beak and they love to get into that coral and eat those small sea sponges, which was if we would ingest them, that would be toxic to us. So, you know, each sea turtle lives in a different part of the ocean. We have a state sea turtle. I mentioned I'm in Texas. We have the Kemp's Ridley. It is the smallest sea turtle, only about two feet in size, weighing about 100 pounds, very critically endangered. It is our state sea turtle. And they're omnivorous. In the beginning of their lives, they might eat some seaweed and other small creatures like crabs and snails. But as adults, just like the olive ridley, they're going to look and feed on crustaceans and fish and squid and jellyfish and other mollusks.
0: And loggerheads are known for their huge head and powerful jaws.
1: So they're feeding mainly on hard-shelled organisms like lobsters and other crustaceans and even some fish. So again, animals are adapting, right? There's it might be a change in the number of prey available. So at some point in their life, they might be strictly carnivorous. If the food goes down, then they might eat, be a little bit more omnivorous as well.
0: Something that you may have heard about sea turtles is that they have really long lifespans. I asked Joni if there's truth to this statement, and you're going to hear about it right after the break. person that I want to recognize on this week's episode of Notable Figures in Science is Dr. Percy LaVon Julian, who was an American chemist and entrepreneur. He had to overcome a lot of racial barriers throughout his lifetime, starting with the fact that his grandparents were slaves. He got his doctorate at the University of Vienna, Austria, where he studied medicinal plants. And possibly what he's best known for is helping to make medicine more affordable for people by figuring out a way to produce it in bulk. He was able to synthesize chemicals like progesterone, which is a hormone, cortisone, which helps people with arthritis, and physostigmine, which helps to treat glaucoma. We can thank him for some of the many medicines that we have today. If you want to learn more about Dr. Julian or this series in general, check out onwildlife.org. Okay, we're back. Let's hear about the lifespan of sea turtles.
1: So sea turtles, as everyone knows, have been swimming in the ocean for hundred plus million years. You know, think of them around the time of the dinosaur. And so we're constantly learning. Even today, scientists are continuously studying sea turtles to learn more and more about them. And so how long they live, of course, depends on the species of sea turtles, but they're all long lived animals. And when we think about their lifespan, when they're reaching maturity so that they will be able to breed, our small little Kemp's Ridley sea turtle, the Texas state sea turtle, they might be 10 to 12 years old when they reach breeding age. But the green sea turtle that we talked about, they might not reach breeding age until they're 30 or more years. So we know that each species can live approximately 50 to 80 years. Some scientists believe that might be 100 years. And of course, I know we're going to talk more about potential impacts on turtles, but this is a very long-lived species, and they can have a very long, healthy life, and, and there's multiple reasons for that.
0: It's so amazing that they're able to live for that long. Another interesting fact about them is that they don't have gills like fish do. So how can they hold their breath for so long underwater?
1: So they're able to hold their breath for so long they stay under the water for several hours and of course it's going to depend on their activity level, how active they are and how what is the temperature of the water. So they don't have gills as you mentioned they have lungs just like us. So imagine a sea turtle resting or sleeping on the bottom. They can stay there for several hours because there's little movement involved. but if they're having normal activity, they're migrating or they're looking for food. They may stay under the water for an hour, but if they're being more active, they might have to surface every few minutes to just make sure their nose breaks the surface of the water and they're able to get air into their lungs. So if a sea turtle's under stress, think of them being injured or entangled in debris and fishing gear, they may use up all that stored up oxygen really quickly and drown within a few minutes. And so this is why it's so important If you're fishing, whether it's a recreational fishing trip or if you're involved in a commercial fishery, that if you have an interaction with a sea turtle, they need to be able to escape because that's going to be a stressful time for them. A lot of people love to eat shrimp and it's shrimping season in Texas out in the Gulf of Mexico and so we should use shrimp vessels right off the shore, but they have a turtle excluder devices and these large nets that are 30 to 40 feet long. They'll have this device, it's a metal bar that the turtle will push up against as it's being pulled through the net, and it has a little flap, and it allows the turtle to escape out of the trawl and reach the surface, so it's not trapped in there in a high-stress situation, uses up all its oxygen, and potentially drowns.
0: I love that we can use these technological advancements so that we can be mindful of sea turtles without sacrificing our lifestyles. But it's still extremely important to think about where your food comes from.
1: Absolutely. And so when we go out to restaurants, we want to make sure that our seafood is sustainable, that it's being harvested properly and allowing whatever. If we're enjoying shrimp, we don't want to take all the shrimp out of the ocean. Then we won't have more shrimp for the future. But we also need to be aware that if there is a fishery, whether it's, again, recreational, commercial, that we, if we accidentally interact with another wild marine wildlife species, another marine animal, that we don't have a dire consequence for that animal.
0: Now, like many animals, there are some common misconceptions that we have about sea turtles. Joni clued me in on one of them.
1: So when people think about turtles, they think about the ability to pull their legs and their head in for protection. Everybody has that mind, image in their mind. Well, with sea turtles, they cannot do that. They're big flippers. They have long paddle-like flippers. They don't have the ability to pull them in and they can't pull the head in. So they give up that protection to be able to propel themselves through the water. They migrate great distances. They're swimming against currents. If anybody's ever been out in the ocean and you get caught in the current, you know how strong that current can be. Well, imagine if you're a sea turtle and you're migrating to your foraging area or you're migrating to a breeding area or you're migrating seasonally. You're going to need that strength of those flippers in order to pull yourself through the water. And then females, once a male goes into the ocean, he never comes back to the beach, but a female needs to come back to nest. And so their back flippers, they use those to dig out the nest cavity. So they'll clear an area with all four flippers, and then they'll alternate with their back flippers in order to clean that out. And so that is the people always wonder, well, how deep is the nest cavity of a sea turtle? It's as deep as that female's flipper is long.
0: And if you've ever seen a nature documentary with a female digging out her nest, you can see how those flippers can really come in handy, even though it does look like a painstaking process.
1: And if the female has, um, you know, an accident from a boat strike or a predator, and she may possibly have part of that flipper missing, it's going to change the shape. When you think of a nest cavity, it's a nice teardrop shape. But if there's a female with a flipper that's shorter, she might have a bump on one side, a smooth side, nice deep side. And the other side I've actually taken nests out, excavated nests, taking the eggs out and seeing a bump in there. And you know that that female did not have two flippers that were the same length.
0: And sea turtles migrate in order to breed. How do they know where to go and why else do they migrate?
1: they're going to migrate for various reasons. And we talked about, you know, having that ability to use those flippers to move themselves through. Imagine if you were an animal, if we had an internal compass, when I'm driving many times, I'm directionally challenged and I get lost, but sea turtles, they have an internal compass that allows them to navigate hundreds or thousands of miles, depending on how far they travel in the open ocean and scientists also believe that they have a magnetic crystalline structure, so something within inside the brain of the sea turtle that helps them to migrate. The other thing that they need to use is light. They use light and the wave motion to help them determine direction for movement. So sea turtles are going to migrate to breed. They're going to migrate to find food. Females, of course, are going to migrate back to the nesting beaches. And normally they're going to return to the area very close where they, as a young hatchling, went into the ocean. And then many sea turtles travel seasonally. Maybe it's for warmer water, maybe it's for a food source. And this migration, again, can be hundreds or thousands of miles. On the Pacific coast of the United States, we have the leatherback, another critically endangered, that large sea turtle traveling. And they travel thousands of miles during their seasonal migration, three to 6,000 miles. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it.
0: That's just insane that they have an internal compass and can travel for such long distances. Unfortunately, sea turtles are in a lot of trouble right now, but they're really important to the ecosystems that they live in.
1: So as we see the decline in population in sea turtles, we still see that they're playing an important role in the ocean ecosystem. You know, we talked about what is their diet? Are they eating seagrass beds? Are they in the coral reefs? So that interaction with that habitat actually provides key habitat for other marine wildlife. And so they help to also balance the food web. You know, when we think about the circle of life, what are they eating and how are they maintaining that population and what potentially uses them as a food source? And then when they come back to the to the land and they dig that nest cavity that we talked about, they might lay 100 eggs they're laying a large amount of eggs and not every egg is going to fully incubate and not every egg sea turtle hatchling is going to merge out of the nest cavity. And so whatever eggs are left in the dune system and whatever hatchlings are left there, that's actually adding nutrients to the dune system. Dunes want plants. They want plant vegeta- vegetation on them. The plants help to hold the sand in place. And that benefits us. I live in a coastal community and our dune system is our first line of defense against tides and against storms. So sea turtles, by nesting in our dunes, are actually benefiting the human population by encouraging good, healthy, strong dune plants.
0: So they not only help ecosystems, but they also help us. But what's causing them to decline in population?
1: So there's many things that have happened to sea turtles. Again, you know, as we mentioned in the beginning, hundreds of millions of years they've been around. One of the biggest threats is fisheries and bycatch in fisheries. And so we know sea turtle population worldwide. Scientists estimate that millions of turtles have been accidentally captured in these fisheries. And so it could be resulting in death or, you know, an injury that doesn't allow them to sustain and continue to contribute to the population. Pollution in the ocean, plastic, everybody's aware of the plastic problem in our ocean. We can each make decisions to help reduce the amount of plastic that's entering the ocean. Of course, there's naturally occurring oil. We have oil exploration in the Gulf of Mexico. And so there are spills, man-made and natural, that can impact. Chemical runoff. We all live in a watershed and my watershed coming into Galveston into the Gulf of Mexico starts in Dallas. And so it goes through Dallas and the Houston area, major metropolitan areas in Texas. And so any kind of chemicals, pesticides, fertilizers that's picked up in that surface runoff, put into rivers, ultimately ends out into the Gulf of Mexico. And so that impacts the ecosystem in the ocean. And coastal development, everyone loves to live along the coast. And so we build structures, we put in hard structures like bulkheads and different gate systems to protect us from tides. And of course, we're seeing erosion of our beaches and high tide systems. And not only are we changing the dynamics of the dune system, we're also putting up lights. So lights from homes and businesses and hotels. As a turtle comes in to nest, the turtles that nest at night They can accidentally go towards the light of the homes instead of the light of the ocean. And the same thing happens with hatchlings. And fortunately, it it doesn't happen as much now. There is still some legal take of turtles. People eat turtles. They use the shells to make jewelry and other different types of crafts. They'll eat the meat. They use the leather. And of course, the eggs are collected. And we're all familiar with climate change, our rising sea levels, the hotter temperatures that we're seeing. The increase in storms and the high tides that we're seeing with the storms, it's wiping out our dune system and eroding our beaches. And if we don't have good, healthy dune systems where sea turtles can come and nest, we're not going to have future hatchlings and we're going to continue to see a decrease in the
0: number of sea turtles. One thing that's really important to talk about that Joni mentioned is chemical runoff. When we put fertilizer in our soil and it rains, the fertilizer can go into bodies of water. And when that happens, it causes algae to grow, which deprives the body of water of oxygen. So make sure you're only using the recommended amount of fertilizer in your yard. Joni has some other things that we can do to help sea turtles as well.
1: We, we mentioned one of the big threats is all the plastic in our ocean. Everybody can make a choice today. When you go to the store, look at a product that you buy. Is it wrapped in paper and plastic? We bring trash into our home. So when you're buying a product, look for a product that minimum packaging and then purchase only reusable products. We cannot recycle our way out of our plastic product. We cannot recycle our way out of the plastic crisis, really, that we're in that's in our ocean. And so we need to use reusable items like glasses. When we go and take a beverage, make sure you're using a reusable bottle. Use a reusable straw. Take a container with you when you go to your favorite restaurant so you don't take home a styrofoam container that you can't recycle and it ends up in the, in the ocean. So we make sure that we purchase reusable products. We're eliminating it a plastic product that can potentially go into the ocean. And marine debris, when people hear that word, they might not think about it. If you enjoy go fishing... Fishing line is marine debris. It gets entangled, not in just in sea turtles, but multiple marine wildlife and birds on our coastal communities and in, in inland communities as well. So make sure you're properly disposing and recycling your fishing line when possible and participate in cleanups. Organize a cleanup in your neighborhood. You don't have to live on the coast. That trash impacts all of us. So make sure you keep it clean. And then again, we talked about the darkness. It's so important. The Kemp's Ridley is a turtle that nests during the day. So they're not impacted, but their hatchlings could be as they're emerging from the nest. So sea turtles nest during the night, the majority of the species. And so they need to be able to come up, nest, and not be disturbed by that light pollution. And their hatchlings need to be able to safely make it to the to the ocean. That is the most critical time for those hatchlings when they're crawling that short distance from the dune to the ocean. There's so many predators. Think of a little turtle that's fitting in the palm of your hand. We need to make sure that we don't have light pollution drawing them towards the buildings and away from the ocean. And of course, my organization has sponsored the sea turtle hotline on the Texas coast. So over 300 miles of Texas coast, 866-TURTLE-5, that goes to agencies in different areas and every coastal community has a hotline. So if you're on the coast or if you live on the coast or if you're visiting the coast, make sure you know that turtle hotline. And if you are so fortunate to see a turtle nesting or a hatchling emerging from a nest, don't harass it. Make sure you leave distance because if we come up and approach that turtle, or that hatchling, they're gonna, they're gonna try to move away from us and then that's gonna distract them from whatever they need to take care of. And of course, you know, support sea turtle conservation efforts, get out there and volunteer. There's so many things you can do. It doesn't matter if you live 50 miles or hundred miles from the coast, you can still do actions that help support our ocean conservation and our sea turtle protection and support nonprofit organizations with donations.
0: We all need the help. Joni gave us some really great information on how to help sea turtles. And that was such an awesome interview. Adding on to that, here are some organizations that you can support. Of course, you should absolutely go check out the Turtle Island Restoration Network. Aside from that, you can also take a look at the Sea Turtle Conservancy and the Leatherback Trust. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of sea turtles. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at onwildlife.org. You can also email us with any questions at onwildlife.podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at on underscore wildlife and on TikTok at onwildlife. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for another awesome episode. And that's On Wildlife.
1: You've been listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray.